0: Hey everybody, welcome to the first weekly podcast of the season. I am, of course, Samson Folk. This is the once-a-week podcast, i.e. weekly uh, podcast, where we talk about the Raptors. And typically, it is either a mailbag or a guest. There's not enough stuff to mailbag about. And we have a, a wonderful guest in-house today. In-house is an odd term to use, considering we're doing this via the internet. But we have a, we have a huge guest today. First of the season is Fandy Arberhenny. And he's here to talk with us. But S, you have news about yourself that you have to share with the audience before we get into all the Raptor stuff.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you. As always, Samson, you're a real one. Um, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm moving over to uh, SDPN Sports, the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. Going to be doing NBA content there. A uh, little bit of reporting on the side as well as their as their lead NBA reporter. But um, essentially what the deal is, I'm going to be hosting a podcast, which more information will be coming Forward in the next couple of weeks, you will hear about it. I'm sure ad nauseum. Uh, I will also have a newsletter, which will be really fun, and I'm very, very excited to show you guys. There's going to be a lot of uh, how to say it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really showing off my creative juices there. I will say that, uh, and you know, trying to, trying to add some flavor to the world of basketball. Um, and yeah, when it comes to the YouTube videos that you guys are used to for me, um, you will be seeing that regularly, weekly. But it won't be on the Scores channel. It will be on SDPN's YouTube channel. So I'm excited to bring basketball to a a very new and different audience compared to what it has been over the past couple of years. But make no mistake, the Raptors stuff will still continue. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. But who knows? We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. And so for anybody listening or watching... You you probably are familiar with S if you're a Raptors fan, and there's even a better chance, you know, if you pay attention to anything that goes on the worldwide of wide world of sports, I should say, uh, that you've seen a video of his at the score. I, I love S's work, and uh, I'll follow it anywhere, so you should too. Now, we follow the Raptors anywhere over here, <laughs> and we're following them into a one and two start. There are some interesting things happening that we'll, of course, talk about, but one and two. Everybody knew that they were going to have a tough start to the year where at least it was going to be a hard climb to a good record because they're facing a lot of good teams off the start. Cleveland, very good team. They're going to be in the playoff picture. Well, they're going to be a playoff team. Brooklyn yeah. is going to be a playoff team. Miami is going to be a playoff team. Some of those teams might actually be in the upper echelon, perhaps all three of the East. And so the Raptors go one and two to start. They have a chance to even up their record and their season record against Miami tomorrow but uh yeah one and two how do you feel about it so far s distraught
1: i'm tank for (laughs) one tank for Wemby. let's do it no obviously look it's one it's three games it's tough to take away too much when there's 79 more of these left uh or 78 nope 79. 79 79 I'm yeah. right yeah I'm right I'm right um yeah so it's just it's it's hard to take away too much from this other than the fact that you know you are right there are good teams that they're facing and they will continue to face over this next week or so to end out the month I think the the one thing the one takeaway here is that there is a lot of experimentation I think they are trying a lot of things um I think there is this level of like all right let's see what we can put out there and you can always appreciate that especially when they're doing it against good teams. So I think that's the the thing that I've realized is like, hey, these they're still, even though you know this was talked up a lot uh, preseason, the continuity of the Raptors, even though there is this continuity, it just feels like they're still you know ironing out the regular kinks of you know what you have for a basketball team for the first couple of weeks,
0: and that continuity kind of got stolen from them, right? Otto Porter yeah. Jr is not the continuity, but he's supposed to be a a veteran who has all the easy plug-in pieces of his game. A (laughs) plug-in guy. All these things, you know? If he wants to have a game where he scores 20, takes like eight threes because that's what the defense has given him, that's what happens. Maybe he gets some offensive rebounds if the other front line is small. Just an easy plug-in guy. He's injured. Has not played anything in a Raptors jersey yet. He looks good shooting in practice, though, as I can attest to. Uh, Chris (laughs) Boucher. Like the plus minus king of the Raptors last year, not in that he's better than the starters, but that in those transitional lineups next to the starters, he's such a great bench player and able to dominate a lot of other bench players and compete with other starting lineup players the league over. He is a guy who is not playing for the Raptors currently injured. Mm -hmm. That continuity got smacked right onto its butt straight away. And what's been left has been the heroics of Pascal Siakam to try and lift up a team offensively. And there's been some good defensive stretches, some really bad defensive stretches. But I kind of want to start with Pascal Siakam because that is the place to start discussing these Raptors, I think, first and yeah. foremost. So your your thoughts?
1: <sighs> like just <sighs> is the expression to be doing with Pascal right now. It's just, um, you know. I I said it before, before the season, but I really do think that this was like he was coming into form as like this. He was comfortable. Like it just looked like towards the end of the season, he had reached a comfort level within his own game. Um, That mid-range, you know, area that he likes to operate in is now his playground. You know, uh, there's a difference between and you use this term a lot. Everybody uses this term a lot. There's a difference between like probing. (laughs) There's there's a difference between like probing and manipulating and like just dictating what the defense is going to do. And last year, I think what Pascal was trying to do is probing. It's like, okay, what is the defense going to do now? What am I supposed to do now? What am I trying to do now? It's I am going to make the defense do this and I am forcing the issue here, whether it be, you know, getting the double team from the from the corner or like. Like he's, he's essentially receiving two or three body, like every single possession, all that stuff is he's creating that and he's creating an advantage with it. I think it's so amazing to see him be at this high level of a playmaker. And like, I just, I don't know. It's early in the season. There's only three games, ladies and gentlemen, but just the fact that he is, he like, okay, here, I'll pull up some stats real quick for you. Pull them up. Isolation possessions, all right? He is, he's pretty high in the frequencies. Like he's one of the only guys who's kind of eligible this early into the season. 1.19 points per possession, which is just disgusting work. It's right there with, you know, the Embeeds, the Jason Tatums, the Kevin Durant of the world. It's just, it's nice. Okay. Uh, as the pick and roll ball handler, which he is doing at about the same frequency he did last season. Um, it is 0.9 points per possession. So he is still generating points and at a pretty decent clip as a hold on where i have this other one as a post player he is also generating 1.1 points per possession right now so look like yes it's 3 games in but his level of dominance has just been so entertaining to watch and it, for anybody who does think the 1 and 2 start is worrisome i think there's a case to be made that it doesn't matter because just how amazing pascal has been
0: that's that's probably a really great point is that when we think about like LeBron. So Pascal isn't LeBron level. Let's, but he's (laughs) Pascal is one of the best players in the league. If a LeBron team or a team with a a top 15 player, let's say starts out one and two, there's kind of a comfort with the fan base because they're like, we're going to get that back. You know, heads or tails, you win some games, you lose some games, but we have this guy on our side. Who's going to drive us towards victories. Pascal, since getting healthy, did that in the second half of the season with Fred injured with Gary on a an extended cold streak from downtown with OG injured, was carrying these, you know, skeleton crew teams to a lot of wins and eventually vaulted the Raptors up the Eastern Conference standings. This year, the team should be deeper once they're healthy. Fred is still just as good, despite a bit of a changed role, as you said. Well, as we'll talk about, I should say. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about that, of course. But the, the big thing is that Pascal looks every bit of a superstar. And that... I love the point you make about probing versus manipulating is that probing is the exercise of seeing how the defense responds to you and manipulating is doing things in anticipation of how the defense will respond. Yeah. And a really great I'll throw this one up on screen. It's the the play against Brooklyn where Scotty got a dunk and it's the play the dunk that Scotty blew against Miami where Pascal All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pascal yeah, draws the double, right? That double comes. Pascal picks up his dribble and heads out and then the low man he baits the low man to shoot to the corner but then flips that pivot around and finds scotty on the short side twice and this is this is knowing how defense is going to respond they think okay he's about to escape into space and sling it to the corner and so he's using that to move the defense around the way he sees fit rather than kind of being like oh what's going to happen here There's some premeditation there. That's an important part of every single score. Premeditation is, is a a huge part of playmaking. It's why like uh, Dakota, who who does like a great job with really good. uh, Yeah. G league stuff. He put up the Raptors hammer play and was like, look at this pass that Pascal made. And if you, and he knows it's a hammer play, most people do, but if you didn't know it was a hammer play, you just see Pascal throwing the ball to an empty corner where suddenly a player ends up, right? That looks yeah. like the most. That looks like a Jokic pass. If you don't know yeah. that, that's a set play for the Raptors, and that's that's kind of the benefit of Pascal knowing how the defense will respond. Is that these defensive rotations, in a way, become set actions where Pascal knows the read. That's that that proactive passing that he's reaching that level, and along with the fact that he he bullied every Claxton, Durant, Royce O'Neal. Uh, anybody, who, Yeah, anybody who steps up to him in the middle yep. of the court, he can outwork them, he can outsmart them, and he can out-length them in that space. And, and there's plenty of finesse and shooting touch there too. Uh, the defense, I guess we could talk about a little bit. Uh, Pascal, very interesting because a- as we saw against Miami, I think Pascal had a poor defensive game. He was being asked to stick Jimmy Butler one-on-one. There were some rotations that I would say he objectively missed And we are going to start entering that superstar conversation that Pascal typically can avoid because his work rate is so high, but you carry so much weight offensively. Perhaps it affects that defense. I'm curious what you've thought about that side of the floor for him through three games. Let's say
1: it's sort of weird because uh, we've we've talked about this before, but like the fact that defensive metrics just don't know how yes. to cal- calculate what Pascal is as a defender. I, I I also think in a lot of ways, like yes, through the he's being asked to do much conversation can also be made just on the defensive end. Like, yes, if we're talking about offense and defense, there is this workload thing that comes into play. But even on the defensive end, he's just being asked to plug so many holes all the time that it feels like, man, a missed rotation. I hear you, brother. Like, it's all Mm -hmm. good. Because at the same time, if he's missing a rotation, it's probably because someone else had missed a rotation a little bit earlier on, and he's trying to recover from that to, to kind of, wear both hats if you will or trying to be at two places at once man he's not the flash you know he can't vibrate so quickly between two different frequencies to be in two different spots but like that's really what the raptors defense asks of him um and it asks the same of og2 which i'm sure we'll talk about but those are two guys that like they are they're the crux of the raptors defense i know we talk about fred i know like you know there is precious and how enamored we are of like his potential to be this this great defender but it's it's interesting to see Pascal just being like the anchor, just mm-hmm. really he he whatever he kind of dictates, he is. And and the other thing is, like, you know, you've mentioned it a lot on your podcast. Uh, a lot of people have brought it up, too. But the way that the Raptors. That's my running <laughs> yeah. joke. Just, an, just, an but no, the, you know, the Raptors obviously switch from, from zone to man. And then they do like this pseudo version of it every now and then too. like to be able to anchor a defense that is that complicated and that reactionary. Yeah. You're going to miss some rotations. There's going to be some moments, especially, you know, with how much of a workload you're being asked on the offensive end that it's, it's just inevitable. I think that's just part of, you know, learning to become a top 15 player, a top 10 player, whatever you want to call them. But, I think in terms of his importance to the defense, there's no question that the man is like number one on that pecking order because not a lot works without him. Uh, and his his ability to kind of just cover so much ground. So yeah. Weird yeah. on the defensive metrics stuff, man. It always bothers me. But yeah. So yeah, the defensive
0: metrics, I I don't trust them for that reason. They they miss yeah. on a lot of players, to be to be fair. And so Pascal, when we're talking about some of the letdowns defensively, if you're a fan. And you recognize that Pascal's shooting out to somebody who's about to take a shot and that shot looks open. That doesn't necessarily mean that that was Pascal's missed rotation. He led the league in closeouts last year. And it's not that Pascal is the guy who's always closing out and that teams <laughs> somehow orchestrate an offense that it's always Pascal's guy who ends up shooting It's that Pascal is oftentimes recovering out to missed rotations from other players. However, comma, You can look at Pascal as the low man because Pascal stepped up to the defender. The pass goes out to the corner. That is the guy who was on ball. That's their rotation to the corner. If that gets passed up above the break, somebody formed up, that is Pascal's rotation. Last Mm -hmm. night against the Heat, I think he missed two. And it was because he was, it looked fatigue or maybe just absent-mindedness. But that's the kind of stuff that you can't really have happening. But I I urge the, the audience that every time you see a Pascal late closeout, that does not mean that it was his closeout. His journey, late closeout.
1: Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'll actually, uh, I'll ask you a question on this or, or like maybe just add a point to the Pascal argument. Do you think because, and Nurse brought it up about the emphasis on defensive rebounding this season, especially for Pascal, right? Do you think that makes it so that that closeout number gets lower this season? Because he's going to be like, instead of running out to the guy, he's going to be, you know, crashing the boards? So I guess you would hope so. Right.
0: Yeah, because and that's also I, I have a tough time, you know, we've talked about this before, but I have kind of a tough time conceiving how Pascal manages. It's like he's at the cookout, right? The plate is overflowing. (laughs) He keeps, he keeps eating. How, How do you fit so much on one plate, sir, towering up to the sky? And if he's not only the guy who closes out the most defensive possessions for the Raptors, but also the guy who has the most closeouts for the Raptors and the guy who has the most miles traveled per game for the Raptors and the guy who has the highest usage percentage on offense for the Raptors and it gets doubled. I'm expecting he'll be at least top five in the league as far as doubles face this year. Yeah. I, and isolations will be top five. All of that. The listener probably thinking, wait, yeah, how the hell could a guy do that? And I'm sure Pascal <laughs> is doing that and saying, how the hell could a guy do that? You know, yeah. so it's and also this is a guy who threw three games. We've seen him guarding Donovan Mitchell at the point of attack. We've seen him guarding Kyrie Irving at the point of attack. KD, Evan Mobley, Jimmy Butler. What uh, what is a guy supposed to do? The yeah. workload is quite frankly, it's it's too much. But I I am glad you brought up the defensive rebounding because he's been just awesome rebounding. But I feel like, you know, roughly 15 minutes on Pascal is plenty. Uh, we'll, have a, <laughs> we'll have a whole season to talk about him. You with the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, myself with Raptors Republic over here. But Fred, Demor- that's your guy, Fred Van Vliet. Yes. Uh, take us where you want with this conversation. I'm just kind of going to follow you as far as uh, thoughts on Fred. There
1: seems to be a conversation that's being started on Twitter about this. And I guess I'll just piggyback on that conversation. And it's the fact that like, he's not taking as many shots as he did last season. It was at 16.9. I think I checked today last season. He, you know, throughout the three games that he's played this year, it's nine, nine and 11, right. Um, That's not typical from Fred. I think that's an area where a lot of people expected him to maybe take a step back in his shot making or just in general his his attempts because you know other guys there's different mouths to feed quote-unquote like you know there's the ogs of the world who want more opportunities there's scotty there's gary right and uh we've seen i'm pretty sure we've seen that gary has gotten the big chunk of fred's shots um in terms of like if you're looking at the overall how many guys have what amount of shots pascal obviously leads everybody wait sorry go ahead so this this is an interesting conversation
0: if i said that gary's getting more shots but not necessarily fred shots would that make sense to you
1: yes yeah it would so so
0: when i think of gary there's some initiation stuff going on there but Mm -hmm. we look at last night and gary took a lot of shots yeah in fact he how many he took over 20 last night yeah i think it was
1: like 23 or something i don't know yeah
0: and so why gary took all those shots typically was because they were stacking his actions with pascal and And so he had a good shooting game, especially from three, which helped the Raptors a lot. And so that wasn't nece- those weren't necessarily, I guess, initiation shots. like right. this isn't a guy initiating offense where Fred typically does, right. but this is a guy who is um, playing on the same side of the floor as Pascal as he's getting doubled, which was a great adjustment by the Raptors by Pascal and by Gary himself. And so I, I would actually agree that OG is probably getting more of the initiation touches than Fred. And then right. also Fred, is just not is taking less shots on his own initiation touches. So, like, the shots are definitely lower. The process
1: has also changed a fair bit as well, if that makes sense to you. No, it does. And I wonder if we ever end up finding a balance there. Cause I don't think this is the end result of what it's going to be. I think it's a gradual process of figuring out where that sweet spot is. I, I don't know what amount of shots makes the most sense for Fred, but I think like, Look, last year he showed that in terms of initiation, he can at least get downhill. Obviously, finishing is one of the biggest struggles for him, but he had one of the biggest pass out rates, I believe, from drives in the league, if not yeah. number one. Right, so it's like sixty percent. Yeah. Um, and look, that's a way to create offense in its own right: driving kick scenarios, try to find shooters. Right. I just think in in a lot of ways that isn't present through these three games. I haven't seen him trying to get downhill as much and trying to create from there. Maybe it is the whole off ball thing that is maybe affecting him mentally a little bit where he just feels like he shouldn't be taking as much shots, but I'm not sure. I think right now there is like this figuring out period. And like, to what I said, you know, at the start of the pod, even though this team has continuity, there is like a, a shift in the power rankings, the hierarchy of what the team is. And that's going to be a whole thing for them. And Fred is a massive part of that. It's like, look, he's, trying to figure out where where he makes sense and if you talk about scalability there's almost no one on this team maybe other than Pascal who's like his play is completely scalable to whatever team he gets put on. Fred mm-hmm. can play on any team, contender, playoff contender, playing team, tanking team, right? So, yeah. That's he, that's the spiel on Fred, I guess.
0: Fred yeah, Fred could plug into any lineup, any five-guy lineup. He he would find a way to boot somebody out and still be um, have harmony with the rest of the players he's just so good offensively and that kind of once I, I don't trust defensive metrics but I do trust the gravity metrics and as far as like how guys pull because that's just player tracking data right people scrape yeah. it from nba.com uh, backslash stats and I find it interesting that Fred once those come out and we're like 15 games into the season Fred is going to be ranking in that top right corner As far as the efficiency and gravity, I think, because not only are we seeing the shots go down for Fred, but we're seeing the assists go up. And and the interesting thing, right? We see the assists. What are they at currently? Eight assists a game. He was at six point seven last year. And this is from a guy who you said is not doing the drive and kick stuff. What is Fred doing? He's in that initial action with Pascal connect and the team. Yes. Connect the team freaks the hell out. Because they're like, oh, wait, 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 Fred's open, Fred's open, Fred's open. Sometimes sending two guys to that closeout, right? And yep. Fred is left to pump and shoot to the corner, whether yep. it's OG, whether it's Gary. And so Fred has become a connector in more senses than a uh, an initiator. And I would like to see a bit more aggressiveness as far as initiation, because Pascal's not on the floor every time. And sometimes in a game against the Heat, Pascal is receiving way too much attention and the defense gets to play way too close on him to like make that work. If Pascal yeah. is getting so much attention, Fred is an all-star player. OG, Gary, Precious, whomever, right? Scotty, once he's healthy again. These guys, if they get a weaker side of the floor because Pascal has so much attention, you have to be able to play in that space. You have yeah. to be able to make a defense. And Fred, I don't blame him because he's trying to find that, that thin balance between where he was and where he needs to be. Really, really tough when your role has changed, especially after an all-star year. And so he's currently acclimating to that, but he isn't being aggressive enough when the opportunity arises or when the defense kind of forces that hand. But with that said, this is a guy shooting, what, 45% from the floor, 44% from three. You know, he hasn't missed a free throw yet. The connective stuff has been good.
1: I'll I'll say... Yeah, well, I just I'll just add one thing about Fred. I think like the fact that he's also willing, Mm -hmm. like there's not a lot of players that would be just willing to be like, all right, I'm going to take seven less shots a game, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm also going to not be this guy who's initiating every action going downhill, make set getting the pick and roll. And then kind of we go from there. I'm not going to be that guy for you anymore. (laughs) You know, start of the season last year, this guy was having the same usage rate as Trey Young near near same usage rate as Mm -hmm. Trey Young. And it's like he's. 180 completely different type of player. Um the other thing I wanted to say is look the man's hands are just incredible dude. It's like yeah. these claws, man. And the defense has not missed a beat yet. Uh I know last year with the whole injury and the knee thing it was it was a concern moving forward but man like really the defensive activity from him has been phenomenal at the point of attack and the claws, the claws, they're just incredible,
0: man. Yeah, dude. It's and not only, you know, at the point of attack being disruptive That's, you know, we were there on media day, right? You and I sat next to each other. Everybody's asking Nick Nurse questions. And I I believe as Vivek asked about, hey, Fred's minutes, any any thoughts on how that's going to be? And Nick's answer was like, yeah, I'm going to play him less. Is there some snark to it, which was fun for everybody in the room? (laughs) But he backed that up with his reasoning, which was that who else do we have to guard all the pick and roll possessions across the NBA besides Fred? Right. Well what we've seen through the you know the first couple of games is that OG, Scotty, and Pascal have guarded more of those possessions, but Fred is still the main guy. And you still can't get away from that. Malachi playing last night is maybe a big step in that direction. I guess we'll see. If he hits catch and shoot threes, he'll stick in the rotation on this team without a question, which he did yeah. last night. But yeah, Fred offensively. Sorry, defensively, I should say, kind of making sure that he can move guys off of their initial action, blow up a screen here and there, get them wide enough that they have to reset these possessions. And then when he's not involved, being so aggressive and so calculated with those dig downs, he's uh, his defense, I think, has just been sublime to start the year. So the offense stuff is a work in progress, which it was always going to be. I've never seen a player do what Fred is trying to do harmoniously like perfectly it's yeah. tough to find that balance but the defense it has not struggled whatsoever uh perhaps we should talk about og then because the yin and yang of fred's initiation possessions and even so much so that og i know has been getting a lot of uh negative press oh yeah, but yeah. perhaps i shouldn't say press negative commentary from the internet at large and i think that you're it definitely makes sense to have qualms with how og the outcomes of these possessions. And I know that the the conversation will always be, why don't we have Gary initiating these possessions instead of OG? And before I take a crack at it, do you want to, do you want to like wax poetic about the difference? Do you have thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll give bullet points. Cause I know you'd be able to wax poetic much more poetically than I can right now. Um, I think the big reason you don't want to shift it over to Gary and, you know, in the, in the pursuit of experimenting, because I think a lot of people have brought that up with, with OG, myself included. It's like, look, this is a trial and error th- type thing. And I've saw some people say, hey, why not experiment with Gary? The, the, the reason is that one, Gary isn't as adept of a playmaker. Um, he just doesn't look at the other players on the court a lot of the times uh he's not making the reads that you kind of want him to uh he's not comfortable in pick and roll situations the dribble handoffs are are better i think um but there's just there's not enough there in terms of creation outside of his own shots and when it comes to his own shots we saw it last night especially in the first half it ends up that he is a tough shot taker and sometimes ends up being a tough shot maker i think That's the way his own self-creation is. Now, you mentioned the whole Pascal angle of of, of him kind of settling in, and I, I completely agree with that. That's why he had that good second half and got back into it. But the first half, you saw him take a lot of hard shots, a lot of difficult shots. He's not creating any separation. He's not creating any advantage. The thing that OG actually does is he gets downhill. He creates an advantage. And the plus side is he's become a pretty good playmaker. He's doing these dump off passes. He is kicking it out. All of this is kind of giving it, I guess, giving favor to OG in the sense that he should have these creation opportunities or just have more opportunity to to have this playground to just try these things because Gary doesn't have those skills. And look, maybe he ends up developing these skills in the next couple of years. But OG is so much further along that it's like, look. This is a guy that can turn the corner this season if he gets a couple of more opportunities every game. That's something to invest in versus Gary is not at that point in his in his, you know, creation kind of development if you will, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so there's a play that perfectly illustrates the good aspect of Gary that also kind of comes face to face with the limitations of him on ball. So it was one of Pascal's six assists in the last five minutes and 30 seconds against Brooklyn, is that they run an action with Pascal and Gary. Gary's shooting out and Gary received the pass. You know, they kind of, they give Pascal that hedge, throws it back to Gary. Ben over, Ben Simmons over pursued Gary. So Mm -hmm. Gary actually got to the rim, that inside hand. Oh yeah. Right hand finished at the rim. Now, step away. I'll put it on screen, but why isn't there any help defense because it's gary and so what the good thing about that is that in these clutch possessions we've seen it you know the second half of last year the early part of this year we've seen him finish at the rim a couple of times you can probably think of it in mind is that gary if he beats his guy he will like if he gets clearance if his guy cheats on a play he can shoot the gap he, he'll have a he'll have a layup at the rim why yeah because teams are so they're so used to not providing help with Gary. And that is the stark contrast. You know, outcomes are different between Gary and OG, but the process is that OG, when he gets downhill, the defense freaks out. They start moving people over. That creates a, a tree of options, right? The, it starts branching out. You can, you can make this decision, this decision, this decision, this decision, decision. But I said this to Joe Wolf on is that Gary's decision making tree is like a decision making branch. There's just one thing he's <laughs> yeah, going to do. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, And that means that teams are not going to respond to him. They're going to respond to him one way and one way only. The guy mm-hmm. who's on Gary, defend Gary. If Gary makes those shots that he usually makes, you know, tough, and the Raptors on the other side, they say good. And Gary is a very talented shot maker. But the thing that fuels offense in the NBA is not tough shot making. It's the ability to bend the defense and open up a myriad of options To make decisions upon. And we saw. It was bad in Miami. As far as the outcomes. OG was getting to about 8 feet. 7 feet. Coming from either side. Getting to those spots on the floor. Missing a pop shot. Kind of dribbling into his foot. Recovering. Trying to shoot the ball out into a reset. Stuff like that. Bad outcomes. But the defense is collapsing. And once he gets better at making those decisions. The options are there. And against Cleveland. What we saw was OG getting into the defense, finishing and making lay downs and completely changing the way that Cleveland got to defend in that second half. That was the big deal. And on top of that, even as OG struggles at this stuff, he's making his threes and he's defending well. The Raptors, very clearly, I don't think anybody who's been watching it can say that they're good as far as creation. Fred needs to extend himself a little bit more. OG, you need more control, of course. Gary when last night he figures out like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to play off of a Pascal. I'm going to have so many open shots. He's such a good shooter. Perfect. But when he gets that empty side dribble handoff with Precious Achua, and Achua makes the first good roll of his life, and, and he's it's open, yeah, and, it's and Gary completely misses that read, gets to about mm-hmm. 14 feet and misses his shot, that's the stuff where you're like, oh, man, about four other guys on this roster would have made that pass, and it would have been a dunk, right? And so it's just... It's opening yourself up to more opportunities and about bending the defense. The trade-off currently is probably still you want Gary having the ball because OG's decision-making isn't good enough. And well, no, I shouldn't say this. His ability to stay on balance and make plays hasn't been good enough that the process is creating all these different outcomes that are good. And Gary is so good at shooting those that tough shot making that creates like, okay, how many points per possession are we getting on this where Gary's just kind of like, you flip the coin, maybe it's in, maybe it's out. The yeah. Raptors, when it comes to OG, that's the potential of it all. It's like, man, this guy gets to spots on the floor. What would it look like if there were good outcomes attached to that? And maybe you believe there will be, maybe you believe there won't be, but that's the
1: rationale. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can we kind of talk about the balance thing real quick? Sure. I love what? talking about balance. i mean i'm not a biometric guy i'm not like i'm not into body stuff but like what do you think that is is it because like i get it i get it it's tough to be going downhill full speed and then have to stop on a dime try to react while also staying in position while being like pushed around by guys that are trying to defend you i get it but like what is that thing that he needs to get to to become a little bit more poised? Of a is it the handle? You know, is it like him fumbling the ball towards the near the basket? What is it that you think? So would help. Every single body type has
0: its advantages and has its disadvantages. Uh, you know, I've talked to you know he's an MD from Korea. He goes bipolar. I've written an yes. article with him, yeah. and so he might bring up a guy like Jared Culver. Who is not a good NBA player at this point? He might not even be an NBA player anymore. I don't.
1: I don't think he's on a roster right now. No,
0: but he might be able to pull up a clip of Jared Culver taking like this drive and being able to, even though the defender's on his right hip, Jared Culver can get skinny, kind of cross his legs a little bit and plant his right foot, and like that's they would refer to that as like ankle flexibility. And like, you know, hip stuff, biomechanical stuff, right? Yeah. And when he talks about, this is what I wrote about with Scotty, and OG was also included in that article, is that OG and Scotty, and we see this with Scotty, Scotty, when he drives, he's finding his own counters that work with his body, and it's about getting wide. Scotty is never once trying to get small. Mm -hmm. And when we think about getting small, it's Donovan Mitchell getting wide on a pick and roll, seeing the, the blitz. Crossing his feet, getting tight and exploding through a gap, getting small and OG with long legs, high hips is a guy who this is why he's so good defensively. He operates with big steps, covering up big spaces, which means okay. in defense, you're trying to take up space in, in offense. You're sometimes you're trying to get through little ones. And we okay. see this with Pascal as well, right? Like the spins getting like his feet, his heels are basically touching each other as he's spinning around. Whereas like a a Scotty spin is not like this tight pirouette, but it's like almost like a hop step. A giant. Yeah, right. These big space taking space uh, steps. That's the difference is that when OG, just because the way he's built, is trying to get tight and little. It's like stilts almost. It's really, really tough just the way a body is built. So he has to have more counters. His counter for the most part, as you know, people recognize, I'm probably losing people at this point. My apologies. But is that is that is that the kind of step back? It's the bump into yeah. the step back. So it's like yeah. instead of getting little, getting that big bump and getting big. But the balance has to get better on how he's absorbing his weight into that step back and then finishing as well. And so it's just sometimes he gets sped up and he's getting out of his comfort zone. OG okay. honestly is a guy who on these drives, he needs to be able to slow down. And that's where the handle development is really important, because when you go slow, you have to have a good handle. We yeah. saw this with Pascal. Pascal is going slow in the middle of the court a lot of the time. And the reason why he can do that is because he has the ball on a string, escape, dribble, re-engage. escape, dribble, reengage, keep working yourself down. It's he can attack fast because the defense wants him to so that they can time their help side rotations. If he can you know, navigate the middle of the court as a slow player. And then burst or beat his guy up with, with a strength advantage. That's how OG can really work on this kind of stuff. But it's very, very tough. For anybody listening, my apologies for all the biomechanics. That's
1: problems. why you need to subscribe to Raptors Republic, ladies and gentlemen. Just uh, just putting it out there. You a little yeah. halftime advertisement for you.
0: <laughs> but also, since that's that's the OG spiel. That's why yeah. I believe in OG. I believe that he's able to get to dangerous places on the court. And I think he can develop those counters. And just to talk about the Gary stuff. Uh, offensive process, there's been stretches where Gary has been bad, but it's going back to last year. Gary had a really wonderful stretch playmaking off of pin downs and stuff like that. Yeah. And dribble handoffs. I would love to see that reemerge. And the shooting is in such a, he's, he's a really great shooter. So as long as Gary's on this team, who knows what happens with that extension, with the contract, everything like that. But he's, he's a valuable part of the team. Currently the offense will continue to be very important and uh while i lean og i understand why some people might find it a an easier watch uh to watch gary operate and kind of okay the jumper didn't go down rather than all of the calamities that can adjoin uh, an og drive or something like that but i I lean og uh i guess scotty is probably unless you do you have any gary og thoughts before we get out of this little? no i
1: i agree with you and like i think you know with when it comes to Gary there is always the talk of the extension and oh, all that stuff we might kind of me and you together we might end up being in that conversation too and mentioning it a lot but like i i totally agree with you man the value to this team is huge especially when he is hitting his shots it's just astronomical how much better this team is in the half court so totally agree that like the value of Gary is is very much so important to what the best version of this team can be but it's just the the idea of like look OG. there is the potential to see more than what we see and this is why he ends up getting the opportunity more
0: yeah it's it seems more apparent where og can improve and become even more dangerous than than gary does so yeah scotty barnes the i think scotty's been awesome to start the year fits and starts to some degree but once scotty figures out how he can insert himself into a game because You know, as we're seeing with Ben Simmons, um, if you're a guy who doesn't shoot the ball well, nothing is intuitive about playing offense in the NBA because the ball can't just come to you above the break. And you're like, oh, I know what to do with this. If you're a guy who thrives on the inside and especially as a big who, uh, sorry, a wing who initiates offense, everything is about reading your defender, reading the second level, taking these little advantages, finding gaps to get to the rim because teams want to protect that rim. and Scotty. Once he figures out his space in a game, God, he's really good in it. We saw it in that Miami game, right? Everybody's loading up on Pascal. The Miami Miami defenders are really good at shooting the gaps to get out to shooters and then recovering and gapping so that those shooters, whether it's Fred or Gary, aren't making these runs to the rim. So it's a reset out. And it's just like, are you guys going to take these semi-contested threes? Do you want your offense to be like living (laughs) off of that? Because this is how we're playing you. And then Scotty was the salve. He was like, he was like, oh, the ball comes to me. Who is guarding me? I will ram them under the basket and I'll (laughs) go up and I'll finish. That was perfect because Miami wants to play this like, we have a bunch of quick guards and we're going to cover space and all this kind of stuff. And Scotty's like, put one on me, see what happens. Yeah. So he he figured that out quickly. He also did that to some degree against Brooklyn. That's why I've always been a fan of the Scotty Pascal duo. I wrote about it early last year. I still believe it It was great in the playoffs. I still believe in it now. And not only that, but I think Scotty has looked better defensively as well. I'm curious what you think of uh, the young star.
1: I 100% agree. Uh, I think it's funny that you mentioned the duo, like the dynamic way that they play, because the way that they connect with each other on offense is just so much fun to watch. You can see that when, scotty has the ball in like the high post area top of the key like it's pascal that's kind of moving off ball and trying to pro on the inside and vice versa right same kind of idea and it's cool because like i had that thread in the summer but obviously like it's this dual headed dragon it's terrifying because they can both do similar things but they don't they don't like clash with one another when they're on the court. It's actually now you have double the trouble, right? I don't know what's that. <laughs> yeah, oh. what, what are, yeah, what is it? What is it again? I'm trying the to think. Double of it. dragon is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like similar. It's 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 a lot of ways. It is like that. So um, I think in terms of Scotty, and you know what you mentioned the finishing at the rim. That's why he's so. That plus the playmaking is what makes him so interesting as a roller. I know a lot of people have mentioned that on Twitter. I see it on my timeline a lot, but like that is 100% accurate. Just the fact that like, look, he can make a play in that short roll area, but he's also such a threat to just try to go through your chest, right? And and finish at the rim. So, I don't know. I just, there's so much there with Scotty, whether it be, you know, him as a play finisher and a playmaker or as a guy who's kind of initiating things. I think we've seen some interesting stuff in the pick and roll as well. Like, I think he's gotten better at that aspect a little bit, although I want to see more. Um, I think, like, the sky is the limit with the dude. It's just, I hope he stays healthy. I hope this thing isn't too serious, obviously. I'm sure we'll know in the next couple of days Um, because building off of that, is such a big part to this is like, you've, you've kind of springboarded yourself to start the year. You're in a, you're kind of finding rhythm and figuring out where you are in the hierarchy, hierarchy of things. It's like, you don't want to fall out of that and, and, you know, be put on the wayside until you come back. It's, it's unfortunate. I really hope he is. Okay. Obviously we'll see what happens, but yeah. Um, it's, it's tantalizing to imagine like what kind of player he'll end up being, you know? So,
0: we want to talk about micro skills. There's something that Scotty has that nobody else on the team does. And we can think about, I'll probably put the clip up is that when he takes Gabe Vincent to the basket and he kind of like that step through, it's not even a drop step really, but he's like stepping through him. You'll notice this with Scotty is, and we'll compare it to maybe OG and Pascal is OG and Pascal when they're, when they're driving guy to the basket, just because of how they operate, how they've always operated, they keep the ball low. And they're like they're they're using their shoulder, right? So, uh, yeah, you you see they're using their shoulder, right? Scotty is so strong in that lower half that he drives guys with the outside of his hip, that knee. He moves these guys with his legs. He keeps the ball above his head as he bulldozes these guys. No chance at a dig. No chance at a contest. This is why Fred Van Vliet, when guys try to bully him, gets those stops. It's why Kyle got those stops. Okay. As soon as you get clearance, as soon as you get me out, my hand is going down, bop, going to strip the ball. Scotty on smalls, even on some wings, is so strong and such a bully. You don't get that. And, like, okay. he just keeps the ball high, double clutches, pops it up. He's – the the counters he has, and this is about, like, being a unique mover in the NBA that people don't know how to guard you because they're like, okay, I guard this like this. This is how most players operate. And you have this, this wing who's like, I won't be bringing the ball down, by the way. It will stay up here. <laughs> and I'm still strong enough to bowl you over. That's such a unique tool in his toolkit for, for the future, especially on a team that early on has been saying like, hey, we're going to run a ton of pick and roll, a ton of weave action. If you switch on to Pascal, put a small guy there, see what happens. It's been mm-hmm. really bad for the other team. And that's like Pascal and Scotty. Being able to do that in those actions, it's like I really like that duo because not to get too far off topic, but remember the the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, the 27 straight missed threes? Yeah. yeah. Scotty Barnes does not fit that ethos, but if Scotty Barnes had been playing against those Warriors with those Rockets, they would have tossed it into him and that scoring drought would not have been there because he yeah. would have abused somebody. And it's yeah. like not that Scotty is better now than – you know, prime Eric Gordon or something like that, but it's just, uh, it's nice to have that, that counter where it's, you're not getting caught up in the new NBA of like, okay, we're getting run off the line and we're getting to 18 feet. You got to make that shot or move it over to the other side of the court. And the defense gets to catch up because that's what defenses are great at now is catching up. And Scotty is like, I don't care if you catch up, catch up to me. I'll put you in the hoop. And and Pascal, there's a similar thing going on there. They're just they're bullies. And I know people don't like watching bully ball, but I tell you what, I loved watching those Rockets that love to isolate. I did, and it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty rewarding to watch dudes get after it the way that Scotty and Pascal do in particular. I'm I'm not the they're they're running more uh, screening actions for Pascal this year. Maybe they're not logging them as pick and rolls because they're kind of turning into those isolations. But Pascal there's more mismatches this year for sure and he's he's feasting on them
1: yeah I wonder if there's there's something to be said about Scotty and like his counter that he's trying to develop with the mid-range jumper too because yeah he is he is like he's he's bullying guys but at the same time if if there's a guy that might be a little bit you know bigger than him or maybe stronger than him that isn't letting him create that advantage then he's also becoming a little bit more adept at that pull-up which is from the same area that Pascal is doing his work right now, by the way. It's just interesting to me that like they're actually sort of becoming very similar players just in the way that they play, but also in the way that they counter like some of the things that the defense is given. Precious and the defense, I think, are tied together
0: somewhat. Yeah, Precious really elevated the defense last night, and he also added quite a bit to the offense. I'm curious your thoughts on Precious through three games because I know
1: it's been a mixed bag. Punching gaps, baby. Uh, I thought... <laughs> shout out Samson Folk. No, but like the Heat game was his best game because I thought his shot diet just made the most sense. Um, you know, whether it be like in rotation, he's the guy in the corner, wide open kind of corner threes, or it's the punching the gap, like attacking the closeout and then getting an easy layup or like finishing around the basket. Or even he had that one where he kind of stopped short, baseline pull-up jumper, he's, which was really nice. Yeah, He said, I think... I think he's made 3 of those this year. I think he's taken 6 of those shots.
0: They're not that's bad. a, a yeah. great return because again, it's it's a similar he's way more fluid. He looks like a a big guard. Scotty and Pascal are both herky-jerky, you know, kind yeah. of weirdos. They're great. They succeed at it, but you know, Precious is the one like that left-handed dribble, getting a guy on his hip, getting to a spot, stop and pop. You look at that and you're like, that's a lot of fluidity. Yeah. You know? And and there's a little bit of touch there too. And it's not even not even necessarily punching a gap, right? Like we have that play, I believe it was against Kyle. They're on his hip. The ball is dead and stopped with Precious. And Precious is kind of triple threading, sees that, sees that he's being played to his left hand. He's like, you're on my hip. You're going about 16 feet deeper than you originally planned. So right. welcome, welcome to that. And then gets to his spot, stop and pop, hit it down the stretch of that game last night. That's something that OG can do. But it'll look weird. That's something that Pascal will do. That's something that Scotty can do. The fact that Precious can do it, I think, is a really, really big deal, along with the outside shooting.
1: The handle, uh, the agility, and like the balance that he has is kind of what you hope OG, OG ends up <laughs> developing. Uh, if you could like morph those two into yeah. into one player, they would be a terrifying, terrifying basketball player. But I think, man, in terms of what you expect from him offensively, that Miami game probably is the best indicator of like, hey, how can he have a good offensive outing? It's just like reading what the defense gives him using his size, using his athleticism to get to the rim. These are the things that just like what we saw from him in the second half of last season that he really thrived on and banked on. I'm not really worried about the like, you know, he's kind of trying to create his own shot. I remember he had that one um, one play against was it Cleveland or Brooklyn? I can't remember. But like he kind of he stopped short and then the, the floater was a little short as well. Right, he he created the advantage. He kind of got the bump, but the sh- the the actual floater itself was was short. And I don't really mind that because, like, yeah. hey, you created the advantage, right? Sure, the shot didn't fall, but like that's bound to happen. The advantage is there, right? We, we also saw just that play against Joel Embiid became
0: drive down to the right, right hand yeah. pump. Everyone probably remembers this play: step through left handed finish. If he can do that on Embiid. He's going to do that on other people. And Precious is also a guy that because he's so big and people aren't expecting that like interplay of like pump and go, or even the isolation beating a guy is that Precious is also a guy who doesn't receive a lot of uh, help side. It's usually just him versus one dude. And it's similar to Gary, right? Except Precious is going to the free throw rate. The attempts at the rim are going to be a lot higher. The shooting isn't going to be near the same, but He's also a guy who he has a lot of one-on-one time near the rim. And for how often he seems to be able to transport himself there, when he's on form, that's a really, really big deal. Those touch shots that seem to be the undeniable fuel of the Raptors between Scotty, Pascal, and, <laughs> and and depending on how, how well Precious progresses. I mean, I, it's, it's a, such a funky team, dude. I, I really enjoy watching them. This, the droughts are a little bit frustrating right now because I think they have better counters this year than they did last year they're yeah. just maybe not being as proactive with how they attack these droughts as they should be but that goes back to probably that that end of bench stuff which is probably what we should talk about is that coloco donald banton fad young these guys coloco for what it's worth has has been better than i would have expected yeah i think that sometimes people are like oh like he gets blocks he's long and that means like that these minutes are good. I I don't like that Nick nurse. <laughs> I don't like that. Nick nurse is playing Coloco over precious. I think that like, I, I understand heard. now here's the thing. This is just the, okay, put this guy on the court thing. I don't have to deal with the, you know, if precious keeps playing bad, I just saw precious play good. I don't have to worry about like the interpersonal stuff that Nick nurse does or setting a precedent for like, you have to hustle here, do this and that kind of stuff. But I think it's nonsensical from like putting the guys on the floor who win you minutes to put Coloco as the first big out there instead of Precious. I don't yeah. agree with that. Even, yeah, it's just when they want to get into Cleveland, Coloco, like it was that Precious started playing more down the stretch.
1: And I, yeah, stuff like that. I'd wager that, and this was kind of what I was going to mention with Precious too. I'd wager that when Chris comes back, that changes. Um, They're I, a great duo. That yeah. Oh man, they're so much fun together, and I think that like that plays a big part in this. It's like, look, those two together, and they did it towards the end of the season. They would sub on together, right? Precious and and Chris, you throw those two guys on, you get a bunch of offensive rebounds, get ex- win the possession battle in those minutes. Like that's that's the way that they thrived, and I think that will. That will change what we've seen. But I do have a Coloco lineup thing for you. And yes. I know you saw it. Yeah, yes. look. Look, yes. They've played, what's it called? Six minutes, five minutes together. But I don't know. No, no, six possessions. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's six possessions and it's what? I think it's four minutes. It's literally four minutes. It might be even less, actually, realistically, because stats.com is probably rounding up. But listen, Coloco. And the starters, minus Gary Trent Jr., a plus 85.7 net rating. Look, yes, I know. it is play those
0: guys from finish, win the game by 85. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why not?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, but I I think there is, like, something to be said about, like, having a guy with that amount of size. And to your point, Coloco is, right now, just size. Just a big dude. Uh, I don't think there is a whole lot of, you know, like Mm – spatial awareness in terms of the defense stuff like yes he he knows some stuff from college he was a great defender in college so some of that stuff is applied but yeah he still has to learn you know kind of backpedaling in a pick and roll and like knowing the the space and like figuring out where the lob is coming from while also trying to like contain the guard playing that drop like that's that's obviously things that he's gonna have to figure out but at the same time I do think the size plays a factor because the Raptors don't just don't have a guy that that's big, that that, that's that big. He's seven two. He Mm -hmm. just has a massive wingspan. So like, these are the things that could win you some minutes. Now I agree with you. Precious should not be behind him in the pecking order. here. I think Precious should play ahead of him. And I think Chris inevitably will play ahead of him when he gets healthy. But I mean, in terms of like giving you 10 minutes, I, I, maybe maybe there is a spot for him here maybe i'm getting ahead of myself three games in and like maybe 905 minutes do make sense down the road because you know giving him that experience giving him more time and more reps and like just being able to play a 40 minute game yeah that's gonna be huge but i do think there's a way for him to fill a need on this roster um and i'm interested to see how that happens through the, through the rest of the season because i don't know i really don't know what we'll see as we we go forward but so far it hasn't been as bad or as mm-hmm. as like awful as i thought it would be coming out the gate yeah and let me say just
0: for the i know coloco is the darling not only was he you know unjustly tackled by Caleb martin wrestling yeah. fanatic um i coloco i loved the way he approached that situation and coloco I think I said this at the start, but he's been better than I expected. He's also, you know, when he got drafted, Nick Nurse was like 905 for this guy, from what Nick Nurse saw. He's kind of, he's softened on that. We've seen Coloco get minutes ahead of Precious. And me saying like, hey, let's maybe chill on the Coloco stuff is not me trying to dissent upon anybody's Coloco excitement. I think it, you you have a lot to be excited about. He's is not not necessarily back backpedaling, as you said, but when he gets sideways on the court, he's a pretty good mover. It's it's functional length, whereas a lot of guys yeah. that big aren't able to use it. Um, when he's rotating as the low man, just for contests, not in like the two versus one stuff. I think that's looked good. He, he competes on the offensive glass. That's all great. This just pales in comparison to what I think. Precious. Precious does. Of. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So th- that's that's all I mean to say. Coloco, for anybody who's excited, well done. You're 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 excited about an exciting young player. So good for that. Banton. Uh, has struggled at the things that he was supposed to struggle at. I think the counters were there in preseason, but again, yeah. preseason versus regular season. I spent a lot of time people listen to this podcast talking about the Banton of it all is like, Hey, he has counters right now. Like that in and out dribble is moving players. He's getting downhill. Some of the sneakier set actions, those I call them get actions uh, in the post-game press conference. Delano called them touch actions, which makes sense. Like, just being really proactive in getting rescreens and like adjusting how players use uh, their screen, how they're defending you. He was really diligent, really good. That has not been the case early in the season, which isn't a referendum on him. It's just that the NBA is hard. And when you don't provide a lot of the dangerous point of attack stuff, it's hard to make a defense move, which I I think we're currently stuck on with Delano.
1: I thought he's been mostly okay on defense. Um, Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think like he's he's he hasn't because last year he was a pretty big negative on that end. Um And I, I, I think that's a plus to at least get him on the court. And then, you know, from there, you can maybe try to figure out like, I think a big thing with Delano and even Malachi is just like what lineups they're in, like what what kind of squad around them makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Malachi, the interesting thing is, you know, he had that those couple of ex. Uh, shots that just went in, you know, rotation. He's wide open, nobody's really going, and they were helping off of him too in on offense. Uh, so like he just got a bunch of open shots and he ended up hitting a couple of them. Good, like that, but that needs to be a consistent thing. Like he, his the shot making is something that is huge for Malachi. It's also pretty big for Delano. Like if he can, you know, kind of get that catch and shoot shot going a little bit more, just be a little bit more adept at that. There is a spot for them in the rotation. I think the thing with that that's interesting with Malachi is that he was kind of getting bullied there on defense. Uh, the Heat realized very quickly that it was like, hey, this guy is a clear size mismatch with anybody else on the roster. Let's go and attack him on pretty much every single possession. We'll see what happens though. I, I think maybe, you know, the shooting, if it sticks, then Malachi will end up kind of jumping Delano in this in this pecking order. Who knows? But probably. Again, we haven't seen the shooting really stick with Malachi, though. I yeah. if the shooting sticks with Malachi, not
0: only that, but I think Malachi uh, probably with with in game reps would become average to above average guarding the pick and roll ball handlers of the league. That's my expectation. Um, he he's not as good in rotation uh, as a lot of other guys. He's not as good in rotation as Delano. For like I talked about that that Pascal Siakam flat footed on a rotation that he knew was his. Delano last year. He was never flat-footed on a rotation he knew was his. This is just like, if he missed a rotation, he was kind of looking around like, oh, damn, that was me. But Delano cares about that end of the floor. So when he when he's like walked into the possession, sees how his defenders around him are moving and knows when he's like, okay, I'm the guy, uh, he, he cares. And he's long and he's like, he's quick. Delano isn't like blindingly quick, but he's quick for his size. And that uh, you don't necessarily need to be like a first-step guy. On on defense, you just have to be proactive and make reads. And Delano, for what it's worth, I think has been doing that. Uh, The the on-ball stuff remains to be seen. He's not often put in those positions. But uh, the off-ball stuff, I think Delano, there's plenty to be encouraged about. Uh, Thad, just to kind of like squeak him in there, I think Thad is a guy who's multiplicative. Multiplicative? Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, yeah. He compounds advantage when advantages are being created. Thad is good if he's playing with good players, but if everybody on the floor is limited, suddenly Thad is like, oh, what do you guys want me to do? Like, I'm this (laughs) this connector piece, you know, and he's been putting these awkward, you know, like offensively limited lineups where he's taking some more rushed threes. There's like he's kind of getting bailed out on above the break and having to move to these. Wrote actions and stuff like that and and even defensively hasn't looked that good in some spurts and father
1: time has has definitely caught up to him a little bit here uh i mean look it's only three games again so it's like tough to really extrapolate too much but yeah it does seem like you know he's not lebron james you know at that age it's not going to look and feel the same as it was even two or three years ago I think there is like a he's a step late on certain rotations. He's a step not there. Like yeah, but also his activity, like just his hands, have proven to be pretty damn good so far. So I think there's there's still something there when it comes to that. There's he just has to be
0: once the rotation is more set, guys are healthy. Like Thad with Chris Boucher, Precious, and let's say they do that lineup right. Let's say it's Pascal Thad Boucher, Precious, and like maybe Scotty, maybe Otto Porter Jr., maybe OG. Thad in that lineup uh, is going to be probably awesome defensively and awesome offensively. That's probably going to hum. Thad with, you know, the guys who he's usually been playing with, it's a tough ask. It's just there's not not enough talent initiating, so he doesn't get to make those quick decisions against a compromised defense where he's making reads that a lot of players won't. Mm -hmm. And defensively, there's more ground coverage, so his... Rude efficiency, where he's cheating here and cheating there, actually shows up a lot more because the guys cover ground and they're able to do more effective defending. Whereas now it's like if he's cheating, you know, maybe the defense finds out he's cheating like a lot quicker. And so that's kind of I think the the thad of it all. Uh, R- Raptor stuff. Is is there anything else you want to talk about? Do you have Do you have thoughts on the Caleb Martin thing? Do, do you? I, uh, I just
1: I, I I guess the only thing is like, and to your point it was ridiculous that coloco was ejected i oh, I, th- I mean i thought that was wild i mean look it, it, what is this a tables ladders chairs match he really <laughs> he literally he literally put him through a, ta- a chair like literally speared him into a chair but look i i'm i think there's uh this like grandizing like they're making it so big with with the Miami Heat fans they're just like you know kind of giving this glitz and glamour to the fact yeah culture. culture that is pretty wild man that's a pretty wild um you know thing to be proud of but I don't know it's also interesting because the Raptors are on the other side of this and the Cavs fans on opening night were very very angry about the whole Darius Garland thing and Now it's just funny to see that, like, the Raptors are on on both sides of this, so to speak. Although I don't think there's much to be taken away from the whole Garland Eye thing as well. But, yeah, that's the only thing I'll say.
0: Yeah, so I think the the Garland Eye thing is similar to the Hero play, right? Scotty's injury. Like, Hero, Scotty was airborne, right? Hero jumps in. And, like, that's not a dirty play. It's just not very clever by Hero. Hero is like, I can jump in beforehand. He was in the circle, he came late, and that ends up being kind of dangerous to Scotty's well-being because there's not much airspace to land. And, you know, it, it's just tough. That's not a dirty play by Hero. And Gary Trent Jr.'s play on Garland is just like, damn, like my finger hit your eye, bro. That sucks. I'm really sorry. Yeah. And like it's it's just kind of, you know, Gary. Quite frankly, I have no idea why Gary would do such a thing. It was a terrible play. Like <laughs> as far as I'm looking at, like say I'm the the coach who's comes in the the film room after and I say that I bring that Gary, why why did you think you were gonna do this? You landed out of bounds afterwards. So what happens if you stole the ball here, bro? Like what yeah. you know what what's the thought process? It's just like Fred's was it his fourth foul where he oh he just, my god he pushed yeah. Jimmy I believe yeah. it was in the backcourt. It's like what's the what's the thought process here, brother? You know, let's let's think a little bit. And uh, but Martin just tackled the dude, you he know, definitely I,
1: doesn't have any fans in Toronto after the whole Scotty thing last year. Yeah. And, you know, compounding that with this. It's just it's a recipe for Raptors fans to hate you, man. So Yeah. And so I will say I said this on the reaction podcast, but the view from
0: behind Martin, it looks like Coloco grabs, grabs Martin dragging him down. Yeah. When yeah. they when you go to the other views, you realize that coloco perhaps was grabbing martin it, it doesn't have to be friendly or anything but coloco wasn't able to stand up like it, you know martin was standing over top of him that by the time coloco's getting up he's like leaned back like fat joe you know what i mean <laughs> he, he's probably like he's probably like i'm just trying not to fall over dude because i'm gonna yeah. look like an absolute like i don't want to let you punk me that you do this you come stand over me and i fall over again yeah, you know, like Miami Heat fans would start putting up murals of Caleb Martin around, like <laughs> you know, Dade Dade County and stuff like that. He doesn't want that, you know. It, it'll be like a new in Miami. It'll be like the Iverson over Ty Lue moment. They're like, "Yeah, yeah Caleb <laughs> Martin," and he's like, "I can't let this dude punk me." And then so he like he he kind of raps, and then Caleb Martin is like, "It's go time," and you know, puts him <laughs> through puts him through a chair. It's just tough scenes, dude. But you yeah. know, after it happened, I I watched the. Uh, my you you've met a leg uh he yeah. was watching ufc all day yesterday and i was watching this ground and pound stuff and when i saw the tackle and saw how much room coloco had i was like he could have ground and pounded you know yeah martin if he wanted to but counter him
1: into a submission
0: he was he was sitting in the chair like this waiting for everything to calm down i think like <laughs> it looked like he almost had martin in a headlock they were just sitting there he's like come on guys you know what are we doing here please it's honestly
1: somewhat it's somewhat impressive that he tackled someone that's seven two like i mean i get it caleb martin's pretty tall too he's like six 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 seven whatever but roughly our height yeah exactly yeah you know common height but but like a seven foot two man you were grabbing him by the waist and tackling him into a chair put that on your resume caleb martin uh (laughs) That's what I say. He's going to wrestling after this, dude. Yeah, yeah. Him and Aaron Baines are gonna
0: link up. They're gonna be like a tag team. It's it's My crazy. God. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's that's
1: most of the Raptor stuff from the first three games. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we've covered pretty much everything there yeah. can be to cover. Yeah. Does it feel like it's time
0: for us to sell ourselves to the fans, listeners? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll let you go first uh, if you want to do the spiel once again. You know. Yeah, look, folks.
1: If you're still tapped in, <laughs> um, I
0: They're am in. In.
1: <laughs> I'm moving over to the SDPN Sports uh, Network. I got to figure out how I'm going to say that every time. But at SDPN Sports, I am heading over there, doing NBA reporting there, making video content. Podcasts will be coming in the next couple of weeks. We got a newsletter rolling through. It will be NBA content, but it will re- be Raptors infused. There will be a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I am excited because, you know, as you know, me, Samson, even outside of work, I would love to do funny things and creative things and, you know, really show off that side of myself and SDPN is giving me the possibility to do that. So I'm very excited to do it. Let's roll with it. Roll tide. There you go. Yeah. Is this, is this a return of the the sketch comedy? It might be, it might be, it might be, it might
0: be. I'm a fan. We'll see. Yeah. I am a fan, uh, listener for myself Uh, You probably listen to this, if you're listening to this episode, you probably listen a lot of the time. Thank you for listening to us so often. Thanks for letting me uh, speak to you about the Raptors. But more than anything, please let me write to you about the Raptors, like a a, a lover in a, you know, during the war. It's 1916. (laughs) Let me write to you. And unfortunately, that's going to cost money. Um, My written work, uh, along with Louis Asman, along with Aiden Moss over at Raptors Republic is paywalled this year. And uh, this is so that the website doesn't have like an insane amount of ads for a a shrinking and shrinking amount of money. Ad revenue has completely blew up on the Internet. It's in a very bad spot. Raptors Republic does not. uh, None of my work with Raptors Republic uh, will promote gambling or anything like that. It's just me. The written stuff if you subscribe you don't get ads you get a quicker website the website is quicker overall because some people subscribe so there's less ads on the website and you get my work most of all i am in the locker rooms i am at practices i'm at the home games this year and i think my work is better than it's ever been it's six dollars a month and uh it keeps raptors republic alive and raptors republic is no longer in a place where it is the minor leagues i don't think raptors Republic. I, I know that's I know that's what people say. They're like, oh yeah, you do Raptors Republic and then you go on to do other stuff. But Raptors Republic has such a large readership and has such a big um, representation in Toronto Raptors media that, and not to be too egotistical, but if you want to know how the Raptors offense works, how their defense works, you know, play calls, the real analysis of it. Uh, nobody else, as far as I know, in the blogosphere or anything like that, does that type of work? Louis Asman dives into the numbers better than anybody. Uh, Blake Murphy is no longer writing about the Raptors. The best written work in my mind is Raptors Republic, and uh, it, it costs money this year. So, this is real a talk,
1: <laughs> real talk. Hey, hold on, hold on. Hey, can I curse on here? Can I? Are, are can sure, you me sure? Out? Yeah, do your thing. Listen, if you are not subscribed to Raptors Republic, <laughs> what f- are you doing? Let's just be real here, folks. No, I mean, look you've just listened to an hour and 10 minutes of a Raptors podcast. And you mean to tell me that you can't put out $6, $6 (laughs) to go ahead and just subscribe and listen to this man's work or, or read his work. Listen, I'm telling you, I am telling you, the man is a gold mine for Raptors information. (laughs) If you want to go ahead and I'll hold on, hold on, Samson. If you want to go ahead and gallivant your opinions on, on Twitter, be smarter than everybody else. Act like a know-it-all. Okay. And and be like, hey, listen, look at this. Did you hear about this? Yeah, you could do it with this paywall. God damn it, you could pay for it and learn. All right. That's all I'm gonna say. If you seriously though, if you like the Raptors, how are you not tuned in already to Raptors Republic, dog? It's a public. It's a Republic for <laughs> crying out loud. That's all I
0: gotta um, say. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words. This it's just the start of the season, so I'm. This is the biggest plug you'll hear on this podcast, for what it's worth. I, I won't be doing this every time. Uh, no worries, listeners.
1: I will be every time I show up. I promise yeah, you. This
0: is this <laughs> is the full this is the full hearted plug, the pitch to say, hey, what we do is important and good and worthy yeah. of money. So thanks for tuning in. It's uh, it's been an absolute blast to talk to you s for as long as we have to talk about all the the pertinent Raptors news that has been ongoing. Uh, I believe. Uh, I'll be here uh, after the after the heat game on Monday. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed listening. S, yes, thank you for coming on. But it, uh, if you're if you're on YouTube, subscribe, like the video, all that good stuff. If you're on the podcast channel, just keep listening, dude. Thanks, dude, woman, anybody. Anything that you want to call yourself that you are, uh, right. keep doing your thing. Keep uh keep listening in and thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and Goodbye.